Job 1, verses 18 through 21. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head, and then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Before we get into the sermon, we do want to take a moment to acknowledge it is Father's Day, and we want to say thanks to our dads and our granddads who are with us, maybe those who have gone on before us. And so we want to, uh, to acknowledge that we are thankful for our fathers. Now, at the same time, as we do on Mother's Day, we need to make it very clear that for many people, for some people, maybe this day is difficult. Maybe you've lost your father, maybe recently, or maybe you didn't really have a, a father, or your father wasn't a great father. Uh, maybe you want to be a father, but for whatever reason, that hasn't happened, and so maybe today is not such an easy day for you, and we are with you, and our hearts go out to you, and we want you to know that our Heavenly Father is always there, and He is a good, good Father, and you can rely on Him. And so when you begin to, to feel that, um, whatever that is that's not positive on this day, I would encourage you just to pause and spend time with your Heavenly Father, and, and pray to Him, and receive comfort and peace that only He can provide. We do want to acknowledge our dads here, and so our youth group's going to help us out, so guys, come on down, and and there's bags over here and bags over there. We are going to give our fathers something. On Mother's Day, we give our mothers a rose. We know that probably guys don't want a flower. Maybe, maybe some of you do. So we're giving you a candy bar. It's a Kit Kat bar. And you know their slogan is, uh, give me a break, give me a break. Well, so it says, take a break. You deserve a break. Our ladies in the office came up with that. So very, very clever, I guess. So we gave you donuts and we gave you candy bars. We know the way to a man's heart, right? No excuses for falling asleep during the sermon. You have all that sugar, right? All right, the troops are getting ready. If you became a new dad over this past year, stand up and remain standing. If you became a new dad over this past year, stand up and remain standing. Those are the guys with the bags under their eyes who look really sleepy, right? All right, let's go to the other end of the spectrum. If you're a granddad or a great-granddad or a great-great-granddad, stand up. All granddads, stand up. Wow, some of you fellas are old, aren't you, Merritt? <laughs> all right, all dads, stand up and join them. If you consider yourself a father, if you're a dad, stand up. Remain standing until you get a candy bar from one of these lovely young people. We so much appreciate our fathers and our dads. What an example they set for us. The behind-the-scenes service they provide for our families, the leadership they provide, we are certainly grateful. You can sit down when you get your candy bar so the young people will know who, who still needs one. I think we hit the chapel too, right? Very good. If you're at home watching online, go to the cupboard, go to the pantry, get your favorite snack, and take a break. Good job, young people. 
Don't worry, no poetry for Father's Day. We're going to spare us all that. Now the question is, do y'all get to... Oh, thank you. (laughs) I need a break, yes. I'll leave that right here in case of emergency. (laughs) Yeah, the question is, do y'all get to get the leftovers? Is that... Oh, (laughs) They weren't so excited about the roses, now all of a sudden they're excited. Do we get everyone? Very good. If your father's still among us, you might remember just to reach out today and and uh, say what, whatever God puts on your heart to say to your father or your grandfather, whatever they need to hear. But I would encourage you to reach out to them. We do want to have a prayer of blessing over our dads, and here's, here's how we're going to do this. If all the, the guys who just stood up would remain seated, and everyone else stand up, let's stand up around them. So all the dads and granddads remain seated, everyone else stand up around them. And if you're sitting next to your father or husband or granddad if you want to put a hand on their shoulder if you feel comfortable doing that as we pray that would be great let's just offer a prayer of blessing over these guys all right let's bow together father god we pause in this moment to thank you we have so many blessings and among those blessings is the idea of father but not just the idea for many of us it is the father that you have put in our lives the grandfather you've put in our lives for that we are thankful we thank you for his heart for his dedication for his service for his leadership for his example father we know our fathers our grandfathers are not perfect but father we know that they in many moments in many ways give us a glimpse of your heart of who you are and for that we are most thankful Father, for those who struggle on today, who struggle with the idea of fatherhood or maybe didn't have a good father, we pray your blessings and comfort and peace over them. For those who have lost their father, we pray for your comfort and peace for them. And God, we thank you for being a good, good father. Thank you for showing us what it means to be a father, a father who loves and leads, a father who shows compassion and mercy. Father, thank you for letting us be your children. We pray in all humility for your continued blessing, for your continued provision and protection in our lives. Father, raise us up as your children, as sons and daughters of the Most High King, to be the people that always give you honor and glory and that bring other people into your kingdom so that we can together glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray as we pray these blessings over these men, and together we all say, Amen. You can be seated. Some of the oldest wooden structures on earth have lasted as long as 1,300 years and were built with intentionally burned wood. This burning process transforms the outer surface and forms a protective layer that is highly resistant to decay or destruction by the elements. Sometimes life can be intense. We can find ourselves burned by bad choices or by difficult circumstances. Scripture is filled with examples of women and men who encountered difficulty, experienced transformation, and were able to overcome. When the heat of life intensifies, God wants to work in your life and make you resilient. Well, we are starting a new sermon series today called Resilient. I think it's a timely series for us. How do we overcome the setbacks and the struggles in our lives? 
And let me tell you about our Discovery Bible Study bookmark. Those are available out in the lobby. They're also on our church website under resources. I would encourage you to get one of those and track along with our sermon. Maybe you want to read ahead of time before you come to worship on Sunday. Uh, The design of those bookmarks is to actually sit down with others and go through the questions on the backside. But they track along with our sermon series and they use the biblical text that we will be using throughout this series. And so it's a great resource. It's a great opportunity for you to open up God's word and to share your life with someone else, to ask how things are going, to pray for each other, but then to get into the scriptures and let God speak to you. Let him impress on your heart the things that you need to know, the things that you need to see. So I would encourage you to do that. Speaking of resources, we also have our sermon discussion resources. We're making those available, a conversation starter video, a discussion guide. Those are on our website and our YouTube channel starting this afternoon. I would encourage you to use those tools to continue to be in God's word. Don't leave what happens in this room here. Take it with you. Let it change us and transform us throughout the week. So the image you saw there on the video and the image you see on the screen, it comes from something called shosugiban. It's an ancient Japanese wood-burning technique. The actual phrase means burning cedar wood. And so many, many years ago, and even now, now more for aesthetics, but back then, they used this technique of burning wood. They would burn wood to different degrees of char, and it would literally change the wood. It would transform the wood, and it would form a protective coating over it so that that wood could withstand the elements and and decay and bugs. It really reinforced it. And so there are literally buildings, especially in Japan, that have been around for a thousand years, 1,200 years, even longer, where the wood has been burned like this. It becomes resilient. It stands the test of time, and it perseveres through difficult circumstances. What a great image. What a great idea and metaphor for this sermon series. What does it mean to be resilient, to be able to persevere through difficult times? So many times we face fires in life, don't we? Life can be difficult. There is suffering, there are difficult circumstances, there are difficult people that make life tough. Sometimes we make poor choices and our choices put us on a path that becomes very difficult. And so there are fires around us Satan is alive and he is active among us. So the question becomes, do we allow those fires to destroy us? Do we abandon our faith? Do we give up on God? Do we give in to the ways of the world or our selfish desires? Do we say, I've had enough? Or do we allow those fires to refine our faith? Do we allow God to work through those difficult circumstances and difficult choices and all those things that we encounter in life to transform us and enable us to persevere? That's the question I want you to wrestle with throughout this series. What does it mean to be resilient? Peter writes to a group of Christians in the first century, a group of Christians who were facing a fiery ordeal. They were being persecuted in an incredible way. And I want you to notice what he says to them in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In all of this, you greatly rejoice. That sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? In the face of persecution, you can rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. 
These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter tells us something we all need to hear. Even in a day where persecution looks a lot different than it did in the first century, but nonetheless, we face trials and struggles and difficulties. We need to hear what Peter says, that we can be encouraged even in the face of fiery ordeals, that that situation or those circumstances or those choices, that God can use those to refine our faith. Now, we need to say right up front, please make no mistake, when we talk about resilience, we are not talking about human effort. This is not a humanistic approach to what it means to pick yourself up after there are setbacks and struggles. I mean, that's what self-help is all about. And there's a place for self-help, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about what the world often says is when, when life knocks you down, pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and just find some kind of inner strength and determination. No. We're not talking about personal determination. We are talking about surrender to God. We are talking about allowing God to refine our faith. The only resilience we have as followers of Christ comes from him and his spirit working in us and through us. And so remember that as we go through this. This is not about trying harder. This is not about being stronger on your own strength. The only way we can stand up when our circumstances knock us down is by the power and the strength of God. May we never forget that. Throughout this series, we're going to look at women and men in the Bible who have been knocked down. Some of them have stumbled down. They've made poor choices. Others have had difficult circumstances. Things happen in their life. Things just didn't go well, but they found a way back. You see, they opened themselves up to God's transforming work in their lives, and God has redeemed them and restored them and used them. As flawed as they are, as difficult as life has been, God continues to use them to do incredible things for his kingdom. So that's what we're going to do in this series. We're going to look at these different men and women in Scripture. And today, as we start, we're going to dive into the deep end. How do you respond when your world collapses? What do you do when everything around you seems to just be caving in? To help answer this question, we're going to look at the Old Testament character, Job. If you have a Bible, open it up to Job chapter 1. It's important that we go there because in Job's story, we have this question. <clears throat> this question that is a foundational, fundamental question at the core of this series of lessons, but really at the core of who we are as followers of Christ living in this world today, or any day for that matter. And here's the question. Is your faith a conditional response? Is your faith a conditional response? Wrestle with the implications of that question. In sports, we call them fair weather fans, bandwagon fans. It's the fans who only cheer for the team when the team is winning and doing well. When the team is struggling or not doing well, you don't hear about them. They don't make much noise. Maybe you can relate. Is your Thunder jersey still hanging in the closet? Has it, has it been there for a while, maybe for the past year? Because they're not so great. We're rebuilding. That's, I love that. That's a 
rebranding of losing. If you call losing rebuilding, it's okay. Bandwagon fans. That's what we're talking about here. Do we follow Christ as long as the path is smooth? Do we claim Christianity as long as it doesn't come with persecution or opposition or difficulty? Do we claim to be followers of Jesus, disciples, until discipleship demands something from me, something I don't want to give? Are we okay with being a Christian as long as being a Christian doesn't go against my preconceived expectations or my selfish desires? That's the question. Is faith a conditional response? If we remove the blessings of God, do we still have faith? Many of us want to be Christians and we want the good life that comes with it, the abundant life, and we want to define it. A good job, a good family, a good home, safety, security, possessions, money, comfort. But what if you didn't have any of that? Would you still have faith? You see, most of us build a framework of faith, an operating system for God, if you will. And we construct this this scaffolding based on logical propositions and if-then statements because we want to relate to God in our world and so we want to get our minds around at least a little bit how he functions in our world and so we build this framework this scaffolding based on logical expectations that we have based on what other people say sometimes we pick and choose certain scriptures sometimes out of context but it sounds good it resonates and so we put all this together and it becomes our faith But then what happens when tragedy comes along? What happens when suffering occurs? Man, that whole thing just comes crashing down, doesn't it? Why would a loving father let this happen? Why do bad things happen, you know the rest of the question, to good people? You see, when we build this framework based on expectations and consensus and desires and plucking and choosing certain scriptures then it's not long before something happens in our life and all of that comes tumbling down. And that's why people say, oh, they lost their faith. They lost their faith. So all of this is happening in Job's story. And it reflects on humanity, doesn't it? It's the same tension we all feel, especially when we face suffering. So we're introduced to the man Job, And the stage is set in the very first chapter. Look at verse 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. And he had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the east. Job was a good guy. In fact, Job was a great guy. The text says that he was upright, he tried to do the right thing, he tried to avoid evil. He even made sacrifices on behalf of his children just in case they did something they shouldn't do. When that's the kind of father he was, that's the kind of man of God he was. He wanted to do the right thing. It just so happens he was also quite wealthy. He had lots of livestock, which meant lots of resources. He had a big staff of workers. He had a large family, 10 children. He was faithful 
he was blessed. The question is, are those two things tethered together? If you remove the blessing, does the faith remain? That is the question. And that's what's happening backstage in this conversation between Satan and God. We are fortunate to see not only what is unfolding in center stage up front, but we get a glimpse behind the curtain to see what is happening backstage. And there's this conversation between Satan and God. Look at verse 9. This is the question Satan asks. Does Job fear God for nothing? That is the thesis of the entire story of Job, the entire book of Job. And that is the question that we often wrestle with. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. You see, this isn't just an attack on Job. This is a bold, audacious attack on God himself by Satan. Satan is saying, God, you have to bribe people to follow you. No one would claim allegiance to you, God, if you stripped away all of their physical blessings. They wouldn't do it. Again, is faith a conditional response? Can faith remain when blessing is removed? So we get to see how this plays out. Job becomes exhibit A in this incredibly profound theological experiment, this question. If Job encounters incredible loss, will he still trust God? And so God allows Satan to bring hardship, epic hardship. In one moment, Job's world collapses. There's a series of attacks and raids and disasters and fires and catastrophes. And before you know it, Job has lost all of his livestock, all of his servants, and even his ten children. Now, fathers, think about that for a moment. Think about what it would be like to lose all of your children. Some of you don't have to project. Can you imagine the pain? Can you imagine the questions? Can you imagine the, just the gut-wrenching process of what do I do now? How would you respond? I want you to notice how Job's initial response probably doesn't align with maybe our initial response. Chapter 1, verse 20. Then Job arose, he tore his robe, and he shaved his head, and he fell on the ground, and he worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We just sang those words. Verse 22, and all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong or wrongdoing. Job's world collapsed around him, and his initial response was to fall on his face, to bow before the sovereign Lord and declare his worth to worship God. Satan, which means the accuser, accused Job and really humanity of being disciples of the prosperity gospel. If you take away their blessing, they will curse you. Job does just the opposite, doesn't he? And the story could end there. The book of Job could have just one chapter. And what a great story it would be. 
the story of a faithful man who lost it all but kept his faith. It's neat, it's tidy, it's clean. But if you know anything about the Bible, you know there's 41 more chapters in the book of Job. You see, suffering is never quite so clean, never quite so simple. In fact, too often suffering is long and messy and difficult and complicated. When suffering and faith clash, there are reverberations throughout one's life, throughout one's community, throughout one's family, their relationships, their decisions, their state of of mind, their well-being, their physical health, their emotional health. There are reverberations that have an impact. And so for 41 more chapters, we have these beautiful and yet raw conversations between Job and his wife, between Job and his friends, between Job and God, most of all. Back and forth, back and forth, as Job tries to process all of this. Someone has said the only way around suffering is to go straight through it. And that's what Job does. God does not restore Job's life instantly. That would come much later. You know, our prayers in the hospital waiting room are not always answered in that moment like we want them to be answered. Our pain is not always removed immediately. We don't always find the light when we're going through the valley of the shadow of death. Suffering is messy, and Job went straight through it. In chapter 2, we see Job is inflicted with these incredible, painful sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, and we find him sitting on the city trash heap, scraping these sores on his feet with pieces of pottery. He has hit rock bottom and just when Job needs a word of encouragement just when he needs a little bit of hope his wife comes along and she says what are you doing why are you still doing this just curse God and die just get this over with thanks honey (laughs) if if Job's love language was words of affirmation she did not come through for him his love bank is still empty (laughs) And then Job has these conversations with his friends. And at first, his friends just show up and they don't really know what to say, evidently. So they just sit with him. And that's the best thing they did. And sometimes that's the best thing we can do is just sit with people in their pain. You see, sometimes when we try to make sense of it, we try to say something, we just make things worse. And that's what his friends do. They finally open their mouth and here's what they say. Job Why did you bring this on yourself? What did you do? What did you do to deserve this? Remember what I said? We have this framework, this operating system for God. We try to fit everything in there. It has to fit. How does God operate? And for them, it was pretty simple. If you experience that kind of suffering in your life, you have really messed up to deserve that. So Job, what did you do? Finally, Job trumps these conversations with a conversation with God and in his conversation with God he begins with questions question after question in chapter 3 he asks why several times culminates in chapter 7 with that question we can all relate to verse 20 if I have sinned what have I done to you O watcher of men 
Why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? For I will soon lie down in the dust. You will search for me, but I will be no more. You see, Job asked the question that we always ask. It's the natural question to ask when you are in the middle of suffering, and that is the question, why? Why, God? I need to make sense of this. I need to have some kind of logic and reason as I try to construct this worldview, this framework for how you operate in the world. If I'm going to relate to you, if I'm going to survive, I need to know some reasons. I'm down here in the middle of it, and I can't see from your vantage point. So God, give me something. Why is this happening? Why did you allow this? Why did you do this? Job asked the same question we often ask. Notice how God responds. God does not rush to answer Job's inquiries. And rather than answering Job's questions, he turns the tables. And God says, let me put you up on the witness stand. I got some questions for you. And God begins to ask Job questions. These aren't easy questions. These aren't fill-in-the-blank multiple-choice questions. These are those questions that you look at and read, and you're like, I don't even know where to start. I have no idea how to answer this question. These are complicated, profound questions, ranging in subject from the foundations of the earth to the far reaches of eternity. And Job, obviously, has no answer. It's interesting. When Job finally stopped talking and started listening, he started gaining perspective. His eyes were opened. And he began to not see answers to his questions. He began to see God. And so this is how the book of Job ends in chapter 42, verse 1. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. You see what happens there? Job is transformed. He has changed. The fires of life have certainly burned him, but God has used those fires to open his eyes to see God maybe for the first time. You say, well, wait a second. He was a good guy, upright, shunned evil. Yeah, he did. But maybe this is the first time he really sees God. And it changes everything. Listen, it's okay to weep. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to cry out to God when you face suffering, when you experience injustice, when you witness injustice and suffering in our world, things that don't make sense. Why is this happening? It's okay to lament to God, to cry out. Read the Psalms of lament. We just went through a Bible study series in our classes on the Psalms. Do you remember the Psalms of lament? Read those Psalms. But eventually, lament must give way to faith struggle must introduce surrender at the end of many of those psalms of lament is the phrase yet 
will I trust him. Yet will I trust him. Here's what I want you to realize today. When your world collapses around you, trust is the way through despair. Trust is the way through despair. It's the only way. Reflect on that statement for a moment, especially as you make it personal for you. Because all of our stories are different. Our situations and circumstances are different. The fires that we have faced and will face are different. But the thing we have in common is trust, faith, is what's going to get us through those things. When your world collapses, don't rush to find answers, to make sense of it all. Because it may just not make sense. God never answered Job's why questions. Did you catch that? God didn't say, okay, Job, I think I got all your questions down. Let me go through them one by one. I'll, I'll make sense of it for you. I'll give you the answers. God didn't do that. Christian author Larry Crabb says, if you don't go to your grave confused, <laughs> you don't go to your grave trusting. I think there's some truth to that. God didn't give Job answers. He gave him something better. He gave Job himself. Do you remember what Job said? I've heard of you. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I know you. So when your world collapses around you, what do you do? Satan says, you let that pain destroy you. And you abandon your faith because God is not a loving God and God is not in control. He is not sovereign. And so you let those fires burn you to the point of destruction. The world says, you find someone to blame. Find someone to blame. Take it out on them. Find some way to, to channel all these feelings you have. If it's a destructive thing, that's fine. A voice inside of us says, you've got to do something. Find some kind of inner strength, determination. Pull yourself up. Get through this. But Scripture says, fall on your face before the sovereign God of the universe because he knows all, controls all, and one day will fully redeem all. In his book, If God is Good, Author Randy Alcorn tells about a friend who had cancer. She had major surgery to try to remove the cancer, but two months later, the doctor said, bad news, the cancer has spread. Right after that news, one of her friends came to visit her, and like we said earlier, she didn't really know what to say, and she was thinking about her friend's faith and, and, and how she was handling all of this and what she was praying about. And so she just asked her, what do you think about God now? She just sort of fumbled that out what do you think about God now and this is what she said she said God has made himself increasingly real and precious to me he has given to me joy such as I've never known before and I have no need to work at it it just comes even amidst the tears he has taught me that no matter how good my genetics are how well I take care of my body he will lead me on whatever journey he chooses and will never leave me for a moment on that journey. She continued, God is good. 
no matter what the diagnosis or the prognosis or the fearfulness of the uncertainty of having neither. The key to knowing God is good is simply knowing him. I think that's what Job gets to. That's the point he reaches. He finally sees God. In many ways, he finally knows God. Does that mean he understands God? No, we can't fully understand God. His ways are not our ways. But he encounters God. He sees God, the sovereignty of God. And so he trusts him. Job is mentioned in the New Testament. Did you know that? Not just in the Old Testament. He's mentioned in the New Testament. James chapter 5, verse 10. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Wait a second. Compassion and mercy are not the words that I typically think of when I read Job's story. And isn't it interesting how James frames the story of Job? He says, don't forget what the Lord brought about. Well, what did the Lord bring about? Well, there's more to Job's story. There's the rest of the story, the end of the story. God returned incredible blessings on Job. Whatever he once had, he was given more. He even was able to have 10 more children. Did those 10 children replace the previous 10 children? No, not at all. You see, the painful wounds of suffering don't just go away with time, even with physical blessing. Oftentimes, they just turn into scars. It becomes part of your story. Many of you know that. You have scars. They're part of your story. But God is crafting a bigger story. He sees the bigger picture, and he knows the end of the story. And he is, as James said, full of compassion and mercy. He is faithful to us. He is worthy of our trust. And trust is the only way through despair. So when your world collapses... Don't look for answers. Look for God. We spend so much time trying to make sense of things. We spend so much energy trying to find answers to our big questions. Maybe rather than looking for all of those answers, just simply open your eyes and look for God. And when you see him, fall on your face and worship him. And live your life in a way that trusts him. If we can help you today in some way, we want to do that. Maybe you're ready to commit your life to Christ. That is the ultimate response to what God has done for you, is to surrender your life to him, to tell the world that you believe that Jesus walked on this earth, that he's the son of God, that he lived, that he died on that cross, that he was not kept in that tomb, but he was raised again to life, to be baptized into Christ to be buried in that water. It's not magic water. It's not holy water. But God uses that act to bring us up into a new creation so that we can live our lives trusting him. Maybe you're ready to do that today. Or maybe we can encourage you. We can pray for you. Maybe you're feeling the fires of the world 
burning you right now. We'd love to lift you up in prayer. You can go to our prayer page, reach out to us there. Also, we have our shepherds and their wives back in the parlor today. So they are going to be making their way to the parlor. You can just um, go out any of these doors and make your way to the room right behind me, and they'd be happy to encourage you and pray for you, or you can come down to the front. We invite you to come as we stand and sing. Be 